HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt. We're on Pizza Talk, and we're with Anthony Falco, international pizza consultant. And uh, Anthony's, uh, you're where you're in Brooklyn right now, aren't you, Anthony? Yeah, I'm in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Williamsburg. Uh, of course, he, many of you already know Anthony if you've ever been to, uh, uh, well, where, um, well, I just bunch of places. Out. Yeah, but <laughs> where did I first meet you? Uh, probably at Roberta's. Roberta's, Roberta's yes. Mm-hmm. So that's where a lot, I know a lot of people know you from there because you were there for a few years, but a lot has happened both before and since the Roberta era. And so, uh, Anthony, first, uh, international pizza consultant can you explain to everybody who probably wants that title and job uh, what it means and how you attained it um well so you know when i was uh thanks for having me first of all really appreciate it it's um it's always fun to talk about pizza uh especially with you know legendary pizza men as yourself um and uh so you know yeah i i was at roberta's for like you know, almost nine years, like eight years and 10 months off and on, you know, it started as a part-time job, um, kind of turned into a career, you know, I ended up uh, buying a mobile pizza oven and kind of like running that as a, as like a, a business. Um, and then just helping with all things pizza, you know, I mean, it grew, grew into a bunch of different things, frozen pizza, um, uh, you know, kind of an offsite commissary, mo- like food halls, mobile pizza ovens, catering. One of the things I did was pop-ups. And uh, so we would go to a city and try and recreate that pizza. Um, so we did those in the United States, uh, music festivals, you know, Fader Fort for South by Southwest and Austin was one of the first ones. I'm from Austin. And you had a mobile, did you have a mobile oven that you took with you to all of these places? Sometimes we'd take the mobile ovens with us. Sometimes we'd uh, locate ones there. Sometimes we'd take over a restaurant. You know, I think, um, and this is all important into the story about like what I do today is that, you know, it was a lot of like, you know, what's the opportunity? What are the goals? And then, you know, what are the, what are the pieces that we need to make those, that happen, right? So it may be using someone's oven, renting an oven, maybe like doing something unorthodox uh, that, you know, we, uh, we hadn't done before, like in one case, making frozen pizzas and shipping them to the location, you know? Um, so that, that really kind of gave me a, like a very broad um, experience. 
-hmm. and uh, and then when uh, when I left and I was kind of trying to figure out what to do, I had some job interviews. You know, I had some people that wanted me to start a pizzeria. Um, you know, I was I didn't like the job interviews. I'm not a very good employee. Um, <laughs> I've basically been fired from every job I've ever had, even ones where I was like a part owner of the thing. Why is that? Um, I feel like I feel like I'm a really good consultant because, like, as a consultant, they, you know, you you um, uh, you're paid to be there for a short amount of time and kind of be brutally honest and like. Yeah you know, really kind of break down everyone's strengths and strengths and weaknesses and, and just like very quickly kind of like, there's no time for sugarcoating things. It's like, right. we got to get this thing going. The more brutal you are, the more they pay you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, and like, it's a result based business. And so like, I, I kind of like feel lucky to be involved, have found this accidentally because uh, I haven't, I haven't, I never really had much of a filter when it came to authority or bosses. Uh, you know, I kind of just like, there's something that I see and I think it, and then I say it. So, you know, I think that's not always appreciated by people um, when you're, when you're working for them. Uh, unless um, you charge them a lot of money, then they really appreciate whatever it is you have to say. <laughs> even if you make them a lot of money, man, sometimes people's egos just get in the way. But uh, yeah, so like, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, what were we talking about? I, me being an asshole, let's see. We went off, we went off from, from why you weren't a good employee to how you became a consultant. Yeah, so, you know, but I was doing these pop-ups a lot. And uh, I started doing them with Roberta's internationally. We did one in Toronto. And we did one in Brazil. and. Um, you know, I think that was a good example of where that attitude can really take you places, you know, later at the time that you don't think about. And in that, like, we were doing a pop-up there and they were kind of like, you know, the Brazilian kind of attitude was like, well, you guys are the talent. So you just hang out and we're going to have these guys do every prep, everything for you and make it right. And so I was like, okay, well, let me go look and see what the work is like. And I was like, can't prep it like this. And I was just like all over them. And they were like, bro, relax. And I'm like, no, like this is our name is on this. Like this has got to be perfect. And so, you know, I was like, this starter's messed up. This is that. And I just was like really kind of, I don't know, like I was really trying to make it as good as it possibly could be. You know, it doesn't matter who's watching or if no one's watching. It's got to be, you know, it's got my name on it. I want it to be great. And so that was a scary words for, for any uh, cooking talent. When somebody says, I'll take care of your mise en place and I'll do your prep. Th those are frightening words sometimes. No, never. Not, I, I have never in my entire life done a pop-up where someone else made my dough yeah. or prepped my mise. You know, I mean, outside of being in the kitchen with them and telling, delegating and watching them like a chef, you know, like, but never like ahead of time having them prep my stuff for me. That's the whole point of it is to learn. And to use different ingredients and to use in a different environment and kind of challenge yourself. Um, so, you know, we're down there and I really, I guess I made an impression on these guys because then um, when, uh, you know, I was looking for a job and I kind of just was like trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life after, you know, I had dedicated my life to uh, Roberta's for a very long time. I didn't really, I mean, I have like a, I have Roberta's tattoos. I didn't think it was like a thing that was going to end, but Hey, you know, stuff happens. Things come um, but yeah, so this, so they, um, they called me and they were like, we've got a new project. It's going to be, we know you have experience with fast casual. We have no experience with fast casual. Um, we want to do something that's like kind of a hybrid of Brazilian and New York and Neapolitan style pizza you know, we're using these new high temperature electric ovens. You know, they have 40 something restaurants. They have nine pizzerias. They are not, you know, amateurs, but they had something very specific that they wanted out of me too. And the other thing is my design. So I did a lot of illustration and design work. Yeah. And so it really, my personality is, is very much included in that project. So 
they flew me down there and we tested pizza. Um, and then like six months later, the place was less than six months later, the place was open. Like they did the, we did the whole menu testing. We did a pop-up and then I flew down like three times and then, you know, it was open and it was a massive success. And there's now seven locations. And this um, is all across the countryside? No, this is just in Sao Paulo. Really? Wow. That was, I mean, it's that's, a city. That's like your first client in a sense then, huh? That was my first client and it was international. So then I called myself an international pizza consultant. <laughs> <laughs> that's good marketing. And that's right? it. And that's it. It's yeah. true. I know. Um, but it was. But because of the fact that they were so on the ball, their marketing team is so good. The design team was so good. The culinary team was so good. I got this guy, Paul Cho. He's the chef. Um, he actually staged with me in Roberta's back in the day. And he saw my, followed me on Instagram. He saw I was in Sao Paulo. He's like, what are you doing in Sao Paulo? I'm like, I'm working on a project. He's like, I want to be involved. I'm in between things right now. And so he, he became the chef. So super, super talented chef. Um, incredible team of management, just super professional restaurant operators. So they, and they opened the place and they just knocked it out of the park. And so from the time that, you know, we started the project to that was like only a few months. And so it's this incredible thing on my resume yeah. right away. Yeah. You know, cause some of these consulting jobs take two years, you know? Right. So I would have had to get a job or fizzled out or something if that hadn't been the case, but because they were so, so good at what they did that we were able to have this kind of like incredible brand as a, a showcase for me and my skills. And it just took off from there. I mean, pretty soon then uh, right after that, I signed a contract for Charleston and then uh, Toronto and, you know, then I'm well, just all over the place. First, before we leave that Sapel, what was what's the name of that restaurant group down there? Or the name of the restaurants? That's called Braz Electrica. Braz Electrica. Yeah. So the so Sao Paulo calls itself the pizza capital of the world. Um, I've, I've gotten emails and or, or um, yeah, basically emails from people from down there say, "When are you coming down here?" I've never been there, but I've heard that everyone says we've got you know we've got pizza everywhere. We love our pizza. I mean, it's one of the most Italian cities in the world. It's a city of something, 20-something million people, and uh, 30 to 40% are descended from Italians. Um, there's, uh, you know, the oldest pizza place that I went to is almost 100 years old. Um, there's uh, a pizzeria on every corner. I think New York City is the only place that has more pizzerias in sheer number. Um, not on a per capita basis, but a volume basis. Um, and it's just, it's a pizza crazy city, you know, and it's, uh, which did you speak when you were there English or did, can you speak Portuguese or Italian or what was it that you communicated with them through English? So everybody, yeah, everyone, everyone in the world speaks English pretty much. I mean, I, you know, I have, I'm I've been trying to learn Portuguese and it's uh and, and Italian and Spanish all at the same time. So those are the kind of the, the three languages that I've I, I operate a lot in South America, so Portuguese and Spanish. And then uh sometimes I'll be in a place where the, the staff is um you know trained in Italy. So like I was in Thailand and the guy's like, Well this cook, he only speaks Thai and Italian. You speak Italian, so <laughs> like no, but you know, I'm trying I'm trying to learn um, you know, when it comes to talking about pizza, I know a lot of the words in all those languages to kind of right. you can talk you move around the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so when you were consulting with this first group, this breakthrough company for you in a sense, uh, yeah. what is what service did you provide for me? I know a lot of people don't know this, but you had already had a background as, a, as an illustrator, as an artist. So you had design skills and, and things that were not related to pizza at all until you brought them, kind of merged them with your pizza skills. But in addition to that, what did you do with them in terms of their pizza? What Did you do something that, that uh, a particular skill set or knowledge set to, that you brought them that they didn't know about? Um, 
Yeah. I mean, for the, the main knowledge set was, you know, uh, fast casual and designing a kitchen and a layout for that. You know, so a lot of what I do is kitchen design in the very beginning oh, right. and menu, de- menu design and kitchen design are, you know, have to work simultaneously because you can't, you know, cook a menu for, with equipment you don't have. Um, I do this, I design this custom sided double custom double sided pizza deck, which was something that I had developed, uh, in my, when I had my mobile pizza operation. Um, so it's the skill set of, you know, yeah, design and, uh, like workflow and like, you know, that, I feel like that was the mobile pizza and the pop-ups really, you know, prepped me for that because you would go into a place and they would be like, here's your booth. And it's like, okay, we have to figure out where's the oven going to go. Where's the table going to go? Where's the service going to go? What is, what's the ticketing system? And so like, how is the line flow going to work? You know, and then you're doing 2,500 pizzas a day, you know? And so you're running a crew of, you know, 15, 20 people. And then a logistic system to bring that, you know, the mise en place from the commissary to the island or whatever it is you're doing. Um, so, like, that kind of problem-solving skill set was really the thing that, so it's I, you not, know, I think, like. It's not just dough formulation. A lot of people think, oh, you're, t- you're fixing their doughs for them or whatever. It's way beyond that. You're doing oh, really full service. You're giving them front of the house, back of the house, uh, flow, yeah. throughput, everything. And then, can, and then systems so that, you know, I mean, one of the things, you know, when I, in my previous job, when, uh, was scale, like we scaled from like, there originally started with one room and the, the, the mixer was just in the pizza kitchen under the counter, you know, and then, uh, you know, you make pizza dough in the morning and then you make pizza during the day and night. And then that moved to, you know, a, uh, a commissary kitchen with a refrigerated truck delivering, you know, dough. And, and so like that really is, um, and then, so what you, would you learn about your own dough, the more you try to recreate it in different situations, I think like you could be really great at making pizza in one environment. And you may not, and you may, that dough may be perfect for you in your environment, but you may not even know how your dough works because you're, because the environment is such a, such a factor, you know? And so to really know how it works, I didn't really get an understanding of it, at least me. And I still don't understand exactly how every dough works. (laughs) Um, And uh, it was by trying to recreate the same thing in different environments, different countries, different places, different using different ingredients. Yes. And then now I'm trying to do something different everywhere, you know? Yeah. Because, because all that pre-training of you running, you're being an itinerant pizza guy, you know, uh, going to festivals and uh, taught you adaptability, if nothing else. And that seems like a huge skill to be able to bring with you into the consulting realm. So that's 100%. Yeah. Adaptability, problem solving, um, you know, and then marketing, because like you do these pop-ups and you do these festivals and I would make videos and I would do Instagram posts and flyers. And like, you know, in my previous life before Pizza Guy, I was a bartender and like, you know, in New York, you don't just open the bar and hope people show up. Like you have to make a party happen. You have to like kind of create an atmosphere. You have to get, make sure the right people are coming and create a buzz. And I think like, you know, for better or worse, that's like, um, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really good at, you know, and, uh, is I create a lot of, I can create buzz. You can create buzz. I, I, that's why you weren't a great employee, but a great, but, but a great consultant. Cause so many, out. so many reasons I was a bad employee. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you were doing these, this, this project in, in uh, Sao Paulo, were you doing natural leavening or, or commercial yeast leavening then? So every single one of my pizzas that I've consulted on is always either a hybrid or 100% naturally leavened. So it's always a portion of sourdough with yeast or just all sourdough. So this was, this one is a hybrid. It's a combination of, you know, sourdough starter and then a small portion of fresh yeast. So that's part one of your signature 
uh, identifiers, I think, as a consultant is, is that is that you become a voice for natural leavening, uh, you know, across the world, teaching people that, you know, kind of going back, in a sense, to the original way that doughs were made, but uh, at the same time, making them popular uh, and taking maybe the fear out of doing natural starters. Uh, when did that start happening for you? When did you kind of get, get keen to that approach? Uh, I mean, it was just one of the projects that I had when I was um, at Roberta's project that they gave me is that they wanted to, they wanted that included. And so I, um, I grew a starter in my kitchen from, from a mail order kind of piece, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever seen these like Ischia sourdough starters that you can oh, order yeah. from like oh, sure. Amazon. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's how I started it. Um, and so I started that in my kitchen and we incorporated that as and turned that into a hybrid dough. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was just something where to me, and, and there's the fact that there's any like controversy over sourdough and pizza is to me just completely insanity. Um, but, uh, like, you know, the, the thing for me and why I do it is because I think it tastes better. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's like, I think it gives you more depth of flavor, even if you're also including commercial yeast for just gas production and convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and since I think it tastes better, that's my opinion. And so I literally cannot be wrong about that. So, right. you know, wh whether it's healthier or more digestible, I really try and steer clear of that kind of stuff because I'm not a scientist. I don't know. And no one knows what's healthy for you. Like, you know, you, when we were a kid, the things that they said were healthy are like, were like, you know, granola and like, you know, all this stuff that's like, oh, now that's sugar and carbs. And that's what really right, kills right, you. And right. It's like, just eat steak and eggs and that's good for you. <laughs> it's always safest for us to focus on flavor first and then, you know, let the, let the scientists work out the other stuff. But uh, this is a good time for you in a sense, because uh, the whole pizza world is waking up to the, to the joys of natural fermentation and leavening and um and to be one of the guys that can teach people how to do it is being in the right place at the right time uh i'd like to continue along this line when we come back uh for our part two because we're, we're coming to the end of of this uh segment with anthony falco international pizza consultant who is going to uh, i think you've got a sourdough starter your own little starter there that you're going to show us in the next uh, episode right yeah, I have I have two different ones that I keep here, and um, I think they're a good way to talk about kind of like the the different attitudes and and different um, you know kind of functionality how people use them. And I, I have these two different ones that I think are a very good example of what you can do with sourdough. Stick around for more Pizza Quest after a word from our sponsor. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere in the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. We're with Anthony Falco, uh, international pizza consultant, who in, in our last segment kind of gave us a ramp up to his journey through a lot of itinerant uh, pizza making around the country, mobile pizzas, a uh, uh, long uh, stint at uh, Roberta's, but uh, pop-ups, everything. He's done everything that uh, I think for me the big takeaway in our last segment was the idea of adaptability and how that skill set plus your other natural skills of design and uh, and understanding kitchen flow and fl and everything plus your dough style and your your skills as a dough maker 
kind of all converged and gave you a whole package that you could present, took you to Brazil. But then where did it take you after you got that, that first one that, that established your international uh, cred? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that first year it was kind of, um, you know, it was just trying to make it happen, just hustle. I was also doing some other kind of less glamorous work. Like I was, you know, making cheese steaks at a music festival in, in like Jacksonville, Florida. I love cheese steaks, so that's not less glamorous to me. That's like essential food. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, just designing T-shirts and kind of just a little bit of everything that I do to just hustle, to not get a real job, just desperately trying to not ever have a real job in my life. <laughs> um, and so, but then I, I did, I kind of, in that first, to, to establish myself, I, and I think this is a good lesson for people who are interested in getting into international pizza consulting, <laughs> is, um, you know, I had jobs that I was doing. Um, and the, you got to take the jobs, you know, those are great. But in between the jobs, I was doing uh, pop-ups and the pop-ups were a way for me to kind of go to a new city, um, you know, uh, like get a little press, do a little, get a little buzz, uh, have a party um, and kind of just get the word out there for what I do. And for me, I started doing the pop-ups because I had a client that I had signed up after Brazil in Charleston, South Carolina, and they wanted a New Jersey-style thin and crispy pizza, right? And I think a lot yeah. of people who follow my Instagram are familiar with my thin and crispy um, style of dough that I do. And, you know, so what I, I, I'm very, very comfortable with, like, the broad style of pizza is like this neo-Neapolitan. It's like Neapolitan-looking high temperature spotted, but not following any of the rules of Neapolitan pizza, you know, more of the kind of, I call it now Neapolitan-ish, you know, it's like, it's that kind of looks like that, but it's That's behind right. the, under the hood, it's nothing like Neapolitan pizza. It's the same category, um, Neapolitan-ish, I like it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm trying to like kind of always incorporate local flowers and, you know, things like that. So the, every dough I do, I've done as a consultant is different from every other one. But so the thin and crispy, I started testing it at home and, um, and then, and I didn't have a lot of experience with that style of pizza. So, you know, testing at home is one thing, but like the, I was like, I want to do some pop-ups so I can like bang out a hundred in a row and see what happens. Like, cause when you are working with like a deck oven, a gas deck oven, you set it to 625, you know, the first pizza is going to look like, something but if you fill it with pizzas they're going to start looking different right. so i really wanted to kind of to make sure that my client had the best possible product and that i didn't look like an idiot when i went in there when the face finally opened was i wanted to do some pop-ups so i did a pop-up in toronto i did a pop-up in london um and those kind of got my you know these were all also just through friends of mine and a lot of people wanted to kind of you know leverage my history and the name of my former employer and I was really trying to make my own name but you know at some point you spend eight years with a world famous pizza brand and people are just whether you like it or not people are going to associate with you with those things so Plus you, you, you know. contributed to that brand as well so it's not like uh, anything to to run from yeah I mean a lot yeah. of people contributed to that brand though you know I mean and like yeah I did a lot of different things um but yeah I mean it's a just like anything, there's, there's a, there's the press is always trying to kind of create this mythology of a single person who's a genius who creates something. But in my experience, that's rarely the case. It's, it's always a kind of, a, uh, you know, you're, even if you are, let's just say you're by yourself and you're hand mixing all your doughs and you're making 40 pizzas a day by yourself. Yeah. There's still the producers. There's still the flour, you know, millers. There's still the cheese makers. No one is ever doing it alone. Um, so I'm trying to make my own name out there by doing these pop-ups and stuff. And, uh, you know, it took me to these London, Toronto, um, and then uh, Bogota, Columbia, Panama, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Coralville, Iowa, Altoona, Pennsylvania, Bangkok, Thailand, Lisbon, Portugal, 
I went to Japan while I was in London. I met my Kuwaiti client who then flew me to Japan to do a research trip for the Tokyo style pizza that we ended up doing in Kuwait, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, and then now well, currently it's like one thing leads to another, but you're, you're flying all over the map, literally. Yeah. I mean, I have, I haven't worked in Africa yet, you know, and I'm hoping to do that. Um, talking to some people in Mozambique. So hopefully make that happen. Um, I'm working on a project in India, which as soon as I can, uh, before the coronavirus, you know, I was going to Australia for the first time to make pizza. And then I was going to go to Mongolia and India. So Mongolia project is almost finished. The kitchen is designed and ready. We're using pizza master ovens there. And, uh, in India, the restaurant is very close to being finished and um, we're going to be opening as soon as I can fly back to India. I'm going to go kind of piece in the this, oven. This, uh, this whole uh, COVID era uh, is really kind of wreaked havoc on people who, who rely on travel for their livelihood. Uh, has this been a setback for you since, uh, or have you been able to kind of continue to kind of like telecommute with them uh, on some of the work? Well, so like the projects that are under construction, I mean, 90% of what I do is remote anyway. So like I have a project in the South coast of England and, um, you know, we signed up right before this and the, the place hasn't even broke ground on construction yet. So, you know, we just kind of, it hasn't stopped us at all. We're just, we're going forward on kitchen design, menu design, um, sourcing, you know, ingredients, all that kind of stuff is just moving forward like normal. The places that were about to open, Mongolia and India, those had to stop. And then there was a, definitely a drought of not signing up new clients, you know. And um, and then the st I was going to go to the Pizza Expo and I was going to Australia. And that was, you know, that was a lot of income for me that was lost. And then I'm not a restaurant and I'm not an employee, so I don't qualify for unemployment. I don't really qualify for PPP. So yeah, I basically was just fucked, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. You're, you know, have to be totally self-reliant, resilient. Uh, like a restaurant operator, you've got to find ways to work around it and pivot. But uh, yeah. And I've been helping a lot of my clients kind of navigate, you know, with my background in frozen pizza, like helping them kind of, you know, convert their you know spaces into a frozen pizza production um and then just the first thing i did though you know that first kind of really dark uh scary week you know after kind of securing the home front and making sure we had enough like kind of food and supplies you know i uh i started to kind of release the doughs recipes of my forthcoming cookbook and I have four pizza doughs styles oh. and I started just doing those recipes on Instagram and my story highlights and um, allowing people to because I knew people were going to be making pizza at home so I just was like well I don't know if my book publisher is going to like this but I'm just going to throw these dough recipes out there and let people play with them and um, you know they've really they've really kind of taken off you know how far along my pizza. Oh, yeah, you, well, while Anthony's checking on his pizza, uh, I wanted to thank all of you who are bearing with us. I know we've, there must be a lot of traffic out there in Zoom world because we're getting some choppy feed, but uh, we're going to hang in there with Anthony. We're going to actually have a, uh, a third segment with Anthony. He's getting ready to show us his dough and to make a pizza for us, uh, so we're going to come back to all that in part three, but we're going to continue in a second when he returns from, from his oven to... Uh, uh, kind of follow up on this on this oh so what do you got there is that a is that a, ah, a part this is the but the butter crust pan pizza butter so that's crust. one of my recipes a butter crust pan pizza okay so can you just describe what or define what a butter crust pizza dough is it's pizza hut 1992 uh, <laughs> no kidding and it's made with butter. There's butter in the dough, or is it is it just butter in the pan? Yeah. Or what? There's butter in the dough. There's butter in the pan. Um, it's a combination of uh, like high protein flour and then whole wheat that I mill here with my mill, sourdough and commercial yeast. Um, and then wow. you know I make a I make like a, a a kind of a cooked 
American style sauce and I do a combination of fresh mozzarella and aged mozzarella, parm, oregano. And that's, it's like, I mean, it is like going in a time machine and getting Pizza Hut pizza. Well, you know, people are hungry for nostalgia as well as for food. In fact, uh, you know, while Anthony's getting all of his, his pieces together for, uh, for making some more pizza for us, um, you know, what, we're going to wrap this segment up. We're going to, I just want to ask Anthony one more question when he comes back. And, and I'm right here. We're going to take a break. <laughs> we're going to have a, a third episode with Anthony Falco, international pizza consultant here on Pizza Talk. And Anthony, here's my question for you. Can you read back there? You you dropped in the middle of all this the big bombshell that you've got a book coming out, and you know I'm always interested in that aspect of of. And I, I try to encourage as many people that have the talent to to write to do writing. Um, and oh, there's the pizza. Okay, that's the that's actually what the uh, butter. That's the butter crust with mozzarella and what else? Uh, so this is a it's a tomato sauce. The this is just a cheese. This is a plain cheese. So it's got fresh mozzarella that I stretch from Belgioso curd. Um, it's uh, some shredded Belgioso platinum. And then I've got some just real Parmigiano Reggiano, Sicilian oregano. And, uh, you know, the tomato sauce is, uh, it's like 90% fresh um, whole peeled tomatoes. And then it's, um, there's something I call flavor bomb, which is like, I, confit garlic tomato uh with the herb sachet in oil you know in olive oil and then i kind of blend that and then add that into the fresh tomato sauce to give it that cooked down kind of flavor but yeah i mean it's like golden brown delicious it's uh i mean yeah when we come back when we come back for the next segment we'll bite into that one uh we'll talk about your starter and some other things but first before we go do you have a date yet, a publishing date on the book, or how far along is the book? The manuscript is submitted, and um, so I'm just waiting to hear back from the publisher. And uh, you know, we're so gonna probably do... about a year away from publication because usually the by 2021, the I think is yeah. yeah, that's what we're shooting for next year. For the editing process and the photos and everything else. So we're look, but the the hard part's done. The the manuscript's completed. So congratulations on that. I can't Thanks. wait. Thanks. Yeah. We're, well, it's we're going to talk okay. about this when we come back. Uh, uh, join us in episode three with Anthony Falco. And uh, thank you for being with us uh, for this segment. I'm Peter Reinhardt. We'll see you in the next round with Anthony Falco. All right. Hey, say hi. We're going to taste Instagram, the pizza. Peter. When we come back, we're tasting that pizza. We'll be right back with more Pizza Quest right after this break. with Anthony Falco. This is part three of uh, an interesting conversation about what it means to be an international pizza consultant. This is Pizza Talk. I'm Peter Reiner. Anthony Falco coming to us from Brooklyn. We're getting a lot of interference on the uh, on the Zoom airwaves, so the screen is freezing up from time to time, but we're going to we're gonna plow through it and see uh, where we can go. I know you're you're eating your retro pizza crust, the uh, the, the butter crust that you say sort of brings you back to, uh, what was it, 1992 Pizza Hut. But uh, why is this style coming back in popularity? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think partly it's nostalgia is always important in all areas of cooking. Um, you know, I think there was a big wave of Neapolitan. And I think when you first have Neapolitan as an American, it's like the quality of ingredients, the simplicity, all that really, you know, is very striking at first. And I think it just, it's a natural cycle that then people kind of go, okay, well, you know, that's amazing, but that's not what I grew up with. But now uh, I'm, I'm really kind of 
concerned about the quality of ingredients. Like, what can I get something that's nostalgic, but then also isn't terrible? So, like, right. I think pizza probably used to be better. I think they used to make their dough fresh in house. I think they probably used used to use better mozzarella. And so, like, this is like a the better the best memory. They they definitely never use sourdough. Well, that's it. You're, and you're they definitely never used freshly milled whole whole wheat. Is there is there some whole wheat in your dough? What percentage of of that dough is whole wheat flour? Twenty percent. Twenty percent. And and so in a sense, I, I think what you're talking about is is kind of going back into our uh, flavor memory hall of fames, but then coming up with no, using what we now know about cooking and food science and everything else, and doing a better version in order to bring back the the experience of that memory. Because if you go back and taste it back then the way it was, it might not be as good as we remember it to be, but now you, you want to bring the memory, the, 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 the present up to the memory. Uh, and you did, you're doing that by adding some natural yeah. lemon using sourdough starter in that dough, which I'm sure Pizza Hut never did. Doubt it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, you know, and for me, there's, there's four different um, doughs that I'm going to cover in my cookbook. There's like Neapolitan-ish, you know, which we talked about. I'm doing my thin and crispy. Um, and then I'm doing this Pizza Hut kind of style butter crust pan pizza. And then I'm doing what I'm calling a Sicilian grandma. Um, because, you know, that's the pizza I grew up with was my great grandmother from Sicily. You know, she used to make and she never called it pizza. And if you go to Brazil, square pizza is not pizza. That's just, that's focaccia. It's a totally different thing. Uh -huh. Americans are the only people that really call that pizza. I think, you know, there's the Roman Altaglio style, but I think it's probably a similar situation where it's something they were making and then people were like, oh, it's pizza. And they're like, sure. It's a euro. <laughs> like what? Call you want. I'm trying to make money here. You know. So exactly. And, and that's the up, cool thing about pizzas is that you know the the the, the category itself is so all encompassing, uh, and different parts of the world have different names for it. But it's just in the end, dough with something on it. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think it's like really, and then, I mean, dough with something on it. I think is pretty broad. I mean, more specifically, I think um, you know tomato. And which is really interesting because you can actually trace that back to like very recent history. You yeah. know, there was, you could say dough with something on it has happened for 10,000 years, exactly. but dough with tomato on it is 500 years or less because tomatoes and wheat were separated until 1492. Um, so there's an actual like traceable history with pizza because you can have a pizza that doesn't have tomato, but you can't have a pizzeria that doesn't have tomato sauce. Interesting. Now, there's, a, you know? there's another little uh, distinction within the these uh, this growing definition that we have of what constitutes a pizza, which uh, is the never-ending debate. Well, but uh, and, and I call my I call my my uh, the one that's the most kind of like you know uh, the the earliest form of pizza for me is a Sicilian grandma. I call it Sicilian grandma because I have a Sicilian grandma and that's who made it. <laughs> but like, I also call it Sicilian grandma because I think at some level, you know, there's like journalists that want to kind of, um, you know, categorize everything. And it's like, to me, Sicilian grandma, Detroit, they're all the same thing, basically. And then, you know, everyone put their own personal spin on it, you know? Yeah. So uh, you're going to teach people in the book how to make a sourdough starter from scratch? Yeah. So let me show you really real quick my starter. So I have this one, and this is uh, starter A. See, it's nice and fluffy there. Um, this I feed with, like, King Arthur flour. I keep it in a plastic container. It's It, it started with a mail order, uh, like – Ischia start, you know, starter. It's very much uh, not precious, not hard. You know, the it's you can get these ingredients anywhere. You don't need anything special. And then I have my super special starter, 
this is starter B. This is it's not been fed for a while, but it needs to be. Um, it's yummy. Um, like whole grain in there. Yeah. So this is started from freshly milled whole grain uh, from scratch. That's it. No, there's no grapes or potatoes or yogurt or honey or anything like that. It was just really good organic freshly milled flour. And I've only ever fed it organic whole grains. And I've only ever kept it in a uh, glass container. You know, and so the idea there is like, okay, I have these two starters. Uh, you know, some because because and partly just as an experiment of like starting a starter from scratch and keeping it um, and feeding it with just organic whole grains versus feeding it the other starter I feed with King Arthur Gal like uh, Galahad or King Arthur All Purpose, which has um, some malted uh, some malt in there, malted barley, right. and which is just makes it, I feel, a little more foolproof. And I keep it in a plastic container because that's just what I have. So the, on one side, you have a starter that's basically like, you know, like anyone can do this. It doesn't, it doesn't require anything special. It's not really, you know, it's not super precious. And then the other one is very precious. And it's only in glass containers. And honestly, in usage, there's not a difference and not a huge, huge difference. You know what I mean? How about flavor? Like I feel like all sourdough starters, whether they're like a month old or 120 years old, it's all basically lacto fermenting bacteria with some variety of wild yeast, you know? Right. So whether you feed it, how you feed it, it's really kind of up to you. And, you know, I think people should play around with all different kinds of things. And, but, you know, I had some lady say, uh, you know, oh, I can't believe you keep your starter in a plastic container. It's going to, like, leach the chemicals and change the flavor. And it's like, well, it's a number five plastic, so no, that's not true. And, you know, like, like would you think that bakeries, you think Tartine is putting its starter in a uh, giant glass container? Like, right. Right. In a, no one uses glass containers in a kitchen, you know? So well, it, it's kind it's it's kind of an exercise in just like you know like whatever do it however you want to do it right just do it book, do a book with maybe a collaborative book with you and a few other sourdough you know sort of uh, uh, aficionados and talk about the myths of sourdough maybe do some myth busting and, and yeah. clarify a lot of this uh, sort of uh, urban legend I would, stuff. I would love to do that. I would love to take all these cultures and bring them to like a lab and really figure out what's in there. Well, that um, is happening. That is happening. Yeah. A wonderful series uh, of pod of uh, they really zoom cast, but they're now on YouTube put out by North Carolina state called fermentology. And if people just go to uh, YouTube and go fermentology, we're at about five weeks into it Thursday. While you and I are talking today, it's a Thursday. This afternoon is the weekly next next stage it's all about fermentation the first few of them were about all these different types of bacteria wild yeast bread and now we're getting into uh cheese and yogurts and other things so people who are like fermentos love it they you should you should just look it up and uh right. and, and we can get them and they're testing about a thousand different sourdough starters from around the world to break out what the microbes are that are in there that differentiate starters from different parts of the world but going back to your two starters, can you tell the difference in flavor when you're using one or the other? Is it, is it noticeable? Is one more tangy, more sour, more, more complex? Or are they, do they tend to sort of disappear? I mean, I'm, I'm always doing what I can to make sure that it's not sour. Um, you know, and like to me, that's feeding, uh, you know, more, more times a day, like keeping it a little stiffer than wetter, um, you know, keeping it warmer and using it, you're using it very young. So like right when it just starts to peak using it. And if I compensate for the amount of whole wheat that's in the starter that's fed, like, so if I use the all purpose flour starter, but I add, you know, 20 wheat into it, I don't see a huge difference between if I were just to do the whole wheat starter 
with other flowers. That makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, uh, sure. I, I think, yeah, there's definitely a subtle difference. And um, I think that's really, it's, that's really interesting to me, but performance wise, I think it's pretty, you know, pretty comparable. I try to do what I can to make them match up, you know? Okay. Well, Anthony, I, we really appreciate you being with us and giving us this extra segment today, talking a little bit more about uh, natural leavening. Like, oh, there's, again, making us jealous over here with your, with, are you still getting a cheese pull on that, or is it starting to harden up from being out of the oven? We'll see. We'll see if you no, can. it's yeah. cold now. Pretty, pretty Dude, cold. Dude, I mean, come on, look at that. That is like Pizza Hut. <laughs> it's like, it's exactly Pizza Hut, but... <laughs> Pizza Hut, but better, right? That could be the name of your book, too. Yeah. But better. Um, well, Anthony Falco, yeah. international pizza consultant, thank you for being with us today on Pizza Talk. We're going to get you back. We're going to talk more about maybe the, uh, get deeper and deeper into the uh, fermentation side of things, maybe get you to sit down with some of our pizza yodis that we, that we get together from time to time, a panel of experts, and uh, a, a number of you now who are moving into the natural fermentation uh, more regularly, like Dan Richer and others, we'd love to have you all on together, and maybe even uh, you know invite our followers to send some questions in for you, so we could do some myth busting and also clarification of some of. The yeah, things. I'd love to do that. Tell some road stories. Yeah. Um, you know, while I'm still right. here in Brooklyn, but before I go back out on the road, which. Yeah, well, who knows? Well, yeah. hopefully, you can get back out I'd there love soon. To do that now. But uh, and we want to hear about some more of your exploits from being out there on the road. So uh, thank you again for joining us, uh, and thank you all for watching and for bearing with all of the technical glitches that are out there in Zoom world. But uh, we'll be back. We'll be back again with more with more uh, visits and conversations with some some of the the top. I would call them the uh, uh, the superstars of the pizza world, and and also uh, some artisans. We're gonna have we have tomato growers. We have uh, cheese makers. We're gonna cover the whole gamut over the the next few months on Pizza Talk. Anthony, again, thanks for being with us, and we'll see you soon. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.